Welcome to the Elder Things Podcast, where we discuss the Call of Cthulhu card game. My name is Lee. And I'm David. Thank you for joining us for our first ever episode here. You can reach us if you have questions or things you'd like us to cover at elderthingspodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. So we should probably talk about why we decided to do this podcast since it's the first episode. Yeah, sure. Sure, it's because it's a flipping awesome game, that's why. It is pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, background-wise, uh, I, I never really got into CCGs. I always kind of saw it as, you know, a money pit. But I really like the thing that Fantasy Flight has got going with their LCG games, where you know, you buy stuff, you know exactly what you're going to get, you never crack open a pack and think, oh, man, what a bunch of junk. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I got sucked into Magic uh, back in the mid-'90s, and also there was a glut of these type of games that came out in the late nineties. Yeah. From because of the success, because of, of the success of magic. And I, I played them all. I played Netrunner, which has now been re-released. I played yeah. Dune, Middle Earth, the wizards. Basically, if it was mm-hmm. cardboard and people played it, I played it back mm-hmm. then. And then I quit magic for a long time. And then I got back into magic and then I quit magic again. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, I found uh, I found the LCG model to work for me, just like you were yeah. saying. So, although I would probably say I spent just about as much money on Call of Cthulhu as I did on uh, Magic, well, but, but, <laughs> but a, I knew what I was getting. It ends to a certain point. <laughs> that is true. You don't have to keep chasing things. That is true. No chase rares so, here. Yeah. Well, my background, I mostly played miniature war games, you know, tabletop games, and there's actually, a, you know, there's a lot of similarity in between those and the card games, you know, is building an army and deciding what figures you're going to go in it and their special abilities is not that much different from putting together a deck. The biggest difference is you start with your whole army on the board and they have locations and cards don't. There's a level of abstraction Yeah, but if you like that kind of thing and you don't want to have to paint the symbol, then the cards are a lot easier. And they're easier to store. That's right. You don't have to go get a battle phone case for your cards. Yeah, those are pricey. Yeah, they are. So, Okay. Well, so in the news, there's a lot of things going on actually right now. The Fantasy Flight World Championships are going to be coming up at their headquarters in Roseville, Minnesota. That's a suburb of Minneapolis-St. Paul, if you've never heard of Roseville. And that's going to be coming on November 9th to 11th weekend. The Call of Cthulhu finals are on Saturday the 10th in the afternoon. So if you've been waiting, this is the big one. And probably the reason that a lot of people were not willing to post their Gen Con decks because they're planning to, you know, to still take right. uh, a derivative of the same decks to go to the championships. So that's probably when you'll get to see Tom post his stuff. Yeah, I've noticed <laughs> there's a definite lack of net decking when it comes to this game. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Uh, well, you know, it's it's and, not like Magic. And that's not so. a bad thing, actually. I mean, because Magic net decking is something they do all the mm-hmm. time. And this one, you have to kind of rely on your own wits and your own meta. Yeah. Well, I think that the balance is better. A CCG wants to have a certain amount of overpowered cards because what are people going to chase after? Right. But here, almost anything is, is viable. If you put it together with a plan and you know how to use it, you follow True. you know, some basic kind of deck-building principles. Right, which we'll so. probably discuss at some point on this podcast. Yeah, now, that doesn't mean somebody can't come up with a new trick that hasn't been seen before or use a That's card true. in a new way or, or just use a new card that hasn't gotten a lot of scrutiny yet. But anyway, so in our next episode, I will be covering who actually won the world championships and hopefully talking about their decks and how things went. 
So uh, you should probably mention that uh, you got second place in the North American Championship. Well, that's that's true. At uh, at Gen Con a few months ago, I got second place. I was only beaten by Tom Kapoor, and uh, it was great. It was a great experience. Interestingly, my first game against another opponent was at the Gen Con before that, one year previously. Oh, that's right. So you've been doing it just Uh over a year. And I might not have even played that tournament and gotten started, you know, if it hadn't been for the great guys on the Fantasy Flight forums who said, yes, it's totally okay for a a newbie to come and play in the tournament. And even Tom himself invited me. He's he's like, don't worry about it. Just show up and play. And nobody's going to complain that that you're a newbie or that you don't know what you're doing. Uh, He was right. Totally, totally friendly environment. That's right. The community is really cool. Uh, another thing that, that you guys might be in- interested in with tournament stuff is that the Call of Cthulhu FAQ and tournament rules have just recently been updated to version 2.3 of the FAQ. And it doesn't really have any significant changes, though. Uh, and all the tournament rules updated is to add the latest pack to be tournament legal. So, But it's worth grabbing a copy just to stay up to date. Yeah, from what I can see here, they... Talk about passive abilities and responses for cards leaving play, and that's it. I mean, everything it, else is yeah. pretty much the same. It's more of a you know little clarification than right anything. Nothing, actually changing. nothing. Yeah, nothing earth shattering. Yeah, but of course, the big news, as you guys are already aware, is that the Seekers of Knowledge expansion is out now. This is the Miskatonic box that uh, we've all been waiting for. The first one of the new set of faction boxes that Fantasy Flight is doing. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, I cannot wait for all these boxes to be out. Yeah, man, the, the nerds are back big time. You're going oh, yeah. to see a lot of Miskatonic being played in the near future. Nerd Rush is back, but there's other things, not just Rush. No, not at all. Uh, this set introduces a new Explorer theme. And Explorers, if you're kind of familiar, they're basically sort of like the new Mego. <laughs> the Explorers all grant things to each other, And uh, that's really the opposite of a rush deck, because these are guys that they tend to cost three or so, and you need to get a critical mass of them before your deck starts really being strong. So it's it's great to see them have something other than a weenie rush kind of strategy going on. Right. There are only five explorers in the deck, and four of them are are uniques. So, Mm -hmm. but they um, they're. They all have the same characteristics. They're all loyal. They all grant explorer characters something. Willpower, toughness, skill, fast. And then they all have an ability that happens when explorers interplay or leave play or trigger off of other explorers. Yeah, so let's just go through these one by one. Okay. So I I really think kind of the cornerstone of the group is probably Roald Ellsworth. Yes. He's a cost three. He's got arcane investigation, two skill. But he grants willpower for all Explorer characters. He's faculty as well as an Explorer. Right. Uh, but so that, that protects you against the insanity. But he's got a great disrupt ability. When an Explorer character you control would leave play, draw two cards or put one card from your discard pile into your hand. So a lot of flexibility. You can either get two extra cards as a huge draw, or you can get exactly what you need out of the discard pile, You know, maybe recur an important event that you had or a character who died earlier, something like that. And remember, it's when he leaves play, not when they're killed. So if they leave play from some other event. That's right. It, it works other... for sacrifice. It even works for uh, discarded from play effects, which are somewhat rare. but Or bounce uh, effects, too. 
Yeah, yeah, bounce back to hand. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what triggered it. You can trigger it on your own guys if you have the means. He's great. Yeah, and then the next one that I think is really good is Brett Wolfson. Mm-hmm. She is a three-cost combat investigation, two-skill, uh, explorer student, loyal. She says, explorer characters gain toughness plus one. And you, mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. You resolve story struggles in the order of your choice for the story card at which an explorer character you control is committed. Right. Not just her, but all of them. So if you have an explorer there, then you can, say, do investigation first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and save combat to last. Exactly. You could do all the ones you're going to win first. Get the guys in there before they've died so you still have all their icons. Just remember your possible common mistake that you might have is that this only applies to the icon struggles, not to the skill check. That is Skill true. check still comes after. That comes last, right. So then we've got James Cookie Fredericks. Great nickname there, but uh, he's got a combat and investigation, two skill. He's both an explorer and investigator. He gives all your explorers fast, which is fantastic. And then after an explorer character you control enters play, and any opponent has more cards in hand than you, draw three cards then choose and discard two. You get a net profit of one card, but you're filtering them but out for better ones. You're increasing the card quality in your hand, mm-hmm. and that's big. Now, the only drawback that I see with him is that there's a fair number of cards in this set, and Miskatonic in general, that allow you to draw extra cards. It may not be likely that any opponent has more cards in hand than you. That's true. That's, uh, that's the balancing factor. Yeah. So playing with these guys, I've, I've actually had times when I had like 10 cards in my hand, you that's know, true. stuff like that. And Cookie's just, uh, he's never going to do his thing. But uh, it depends on your play style and the rest of the deck, of course. Do you want to talk about yeah, the well, other one? Matthew Alexander. He's, uh, he's got three icons where the other explorers just have two. There's a combat, arcane, investigation. And two skill. He gives plus one skill to all your explorers, so they all they're all gonna bump up from twos to threes with the set we have here. After a character enters or leaves play from a card effect, and you control a Miskatonic card, put Matthew Alexander into play from your hand. So he basically plays himself for free. Uh, that that's a great effect. And it's a character, not an explorer. So yeah. that works really well. Any card effect. If somebody plays an event or something like that. Uh, or a character has a come-into-play ability. It's not that uncommon. A lot of the time, you'll get to play this guy for free. Okay, and the last explorer that we can talk about here is the Arctic Ethnologist. Mm-hmm. And this is the only non-unique. It only costs two. It has two icons, Arcane and Investigation, and it has two skill. Mm-hmm. It's an explorer scientist, which is going to be important when we talk about another card coming up. Now, what, while you control only Miskatonic cards... Arctic Ethnologist gains a combat icon, and Explorer characters gain an arcane icon. Right, and and she's both, so she gets both of them. So she's great, and being the only non-unique Explorer in the deck, I mean, if if you're doing an Explorer theme, you've got to put three of her in there. The drawback, though, is if you would not put her in if you're doing a mixed faction deck because her ability wouldn't trigger. That's true. Okay, well, that's the Explorer um, sub-theme. And then there's also a faculty and student sub-theme. But I'd like to talk about a couple, just a couple of the standout cards from it. I don't necessarily want to do a card-for-card review at this time. Sure, no, let's just get a couple highlights. First, I'd like to start with Witten Green. Um, Her name is Witten Green, Restricted Collection Book Hunter. She costs three. Three icons, Arcane and two Investigation, with three Toughness. That's pretty good right there. She's a faculty, investigator, relic hunter. 
She has toughness plus one. And it says response. After you succeed at a story at which Witten Green is committed, search your deck for a tome support card and add it to your hand. Then shuffle your deck. But the last bit, she has a icon booster for the story she's at for investigation. So any story that she's committed to has an additional investigation struggle. Right, which she's very likely to win because she's got two of those icons. So she's pretty big. That, that's a really solid character. And if I might ask, she's extremely good looking as well. Oh, well, yes. So a lot more than James Cookie Fredericks. Well, so. you know. <laughs> but, uh, but he's got the beard. Yeah, yeah. I guess some people are into that. No. Yeah, well. so. So what do you think about Lucas Tetlow? Oh, man, you got to watch out for him. If he comes out early, it can really kind of throw a roadblock in front of your opponent. Let's we'll go ahead and read this guy. He's unique, of course, since he's got a personal name. Cost two, combat, arcane, skill two. First, he's got invulnerability, which is already huge for a faction like Miskatonic. So he, he gets in there, and he's a blocker. And uh, very, very annoying. But he also uh, screws up when people try to play support cards. So there's, there's a disrupt. When a player would play a non-location support card, discard one of your success tokens from a story to instead put that card into play under your control as if you just played it from your hand. So you have to give up a success token, and if you don't have any to give up, you can't use them. He steals all your stuff, and in today's environment where support cards are fairly prevalent, you're going to hate this guy, and he's hard to get rid of because of the invulnerability. And you always have the one story that has the one success token on it. You know, yeah. maybe got three on one of them, two on another, but it's usually a, one of your stories has one on it. You look at discarding a, a success token and go, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, but I think it's doable for sure. Yeah, and if, if you think it's not worthwhile, then don't do it. For what it does. So. I think it really works well, though. What would really make him over-the-top annoying is if he came out really early in the game and stopped the opponent from playing any of their port cards. Because yeah, he's cost two, so he can come out on the very first turn. But they won't have a success token yet. So at least the opponent has at least one opportunity to get a support card out there before Lucas starts snitching them all. True. I'll tell you who I like in here. Not Maybe not a glamorous character, but for one... You can do a lot worse than Alternative Historian. She's got no icons, but two skill, Faculty Investigator. When you play her, you get to draw a card for free. So but, she pays for herself. Yeah, she does. Uh, but her big thing is, you can discard a card from your hand to choose an icon struggle of the story. That struggle does not resolve this phase. So it's not the story she's at. It's just any story, anywhere. She can be exhausted. doesn't matter. Yeah, she doesn't uh, have to be committed at all. For the for the price of a card, bad things don't have to happen. That's really good. But mm-hmm. if bad things do have to happen, what about Cub Reporter? Everybody yeah. has a terror soak character, you know, whether it's lab assistant or any of these one drops that you throw in there. But Cub Reporter costs two, has an investigation icon. But while he is committed to a story, if he is chosen to go insane because of a terror struggle. He does not do so until all the other struggles at the story are resolved. So he's going to count his investigation and his skill, even though he's going to go crazy at the end. Yeah, yeah, he, he so, just he puts it off. I have I'll go crazy later. If you've got to throw somebody in front of the Shoggoth, he's the guy to do it. The one skill is not a, as big a deal as keeping the investigation. I that's exactly right. But uh, but every pe- every skill point helps. Yeah, for sure. And I like him. And as far as uh, I think there's two more characters I wanted to talk about. One uh, is College Prospect. He costs he costs zero 
but he does have steadfast three Miskatonic, so you have to have at least three Miskatonic resources in play. But he has one skill and no icons. He's a student. But after College Prospect is destroyed, draw two cards. A forced response. So you can throw him in the way, and then you get to replace him and draw an extra card. That's card advantage. Yeah, and costing zero. I mean, he doesn't take a domain or anything. He doesn't use up a domain. You just Mm -hmm. have to be playing primarily Miskatonic to use him. Yeah. Now, his brother, who I don't like as well, is Overworked Grad Student. Overworked Grad Student costs one, has two arcane icons, but zero skill. And let me tell you. That does not pass for me. Um, mm-hmm. The two arcane isn't worth having zero skill. But what he does, he's a cost reducer for research cards. You reduce uh, the fir- first research card you play each turn, mm-hmm. reduced by two to a minimum of one. And he has an action to exhaust him to reduce the cost of the next student or faculty character this phase by one. Well, having played uh, with this guy multiple times, He's basically just being chose to go crazy, and I would rather have Cub Reporter in there mm-hmm. to do that because he has zero skill. If he's standing there, you're unopposed anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I think if if you built your deck to include a fair number of research cards, then he may be worth right. it. There are some good research uh, if events. You, yeah. If you theme it around that and around faculties or students, I could see. But but he yeah he may not be like a, just a good all around character for any deck though. Yeah, I, th- I thought I'd like him for a one drop, but I'm I'm gonna say that I like Alternative Historian as the best one in this set yeah. as far as Miskatonic cards. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's hit one more guy here. Okay. Because uh, th- this is a character that didn't turn out the way that you know he initially looked. And uh, you might want to know about that. It's Dr. Bancroft, military historian. He costs three. He's got two combat, which is pretty good for Miskatonic, and an arcane. Three skill. Toughness plus three. Cannot have attachment cards attached. And that's pretty much so you don't give him a Kopesh, I think. Pretty much. And then response. After he's wounded, pay one to choose a character. Place X wound tokens on that character, where X is the number of wound tokens on Dr. Bancroft. So, you know, what people are thinking is, I'm going to send this guy up here, he gets hurt, and then I blow away your best characters, because I get to choose who he's going to wound. And after trying him out, that, I don't think that's happened once. No. Everybody, you know, goes there, and they're very careful to just match your combat total so that nobody gets hurt anywhere. Right. Or, or, you know, or do it when uh, you don't have a domain open to pay one. Right. So uh, he, he he is a deterrent, he, and he's easy to play around though. Yeah, you, you can play around him. You know, he may cause a little confusion in your opponent of like how to deal with him, but it doesn't seem like you're going to see his ability come off that often. But you know, he has a Gatling gun on his desk, so that has worth something. Yeah. That'll be worth something. So okay, well, let's go ahead and move on and cover some of the interesting events in here. I, I got to do this one because uh, there's I got kind of a history here. <laughs> Daring Buju. So. <laughs> When I was at Gen Con back in August, Damon was there, and we had an odd number of players, so one of them got a buy, and he, Damon was playing against uh, the buy player and using cards from this Miskatonic set. Right. I don't know who that guy was, but uh, he was able to see a lot of the cards and you know get a good heads up. The rest of us would just kind of peek over there when our own games were over. We had a chance. I happened to spot this card here, Daring Buju, which features uh, a guy in kind of a Chinese-style coat playing a game of Go. And immediately, my reaction was, this This is all messed up, because the position on the Go board doesn't look right. 
It, it's the kind of thing, you know, where I, I know not too many people in the U.S. play Go, but if it was a chess game, it would be like having your king way up out front in front of all your other pieces. You know, you look at it, it's like nobody would ever play a game and move <laughs> their pieces like this. True. So, but art aside. But art aside, it's a fantastic event that yeah. you should consider putting into your deck. It's a zero-cost event. It's got the triple Miskatonic Steadfast, so you don't splash it into everything. Exhaust a Miskatonic character to choose a story struggle icon at a story. Replace that icon with an icon of your choice. So hmm, no, no combat, maybe? I'm going to do more investigation or more arcane or whatever you're good at. I mean, it's, it's a two-icon swing. Take away one you, you don't like, replace it with one you do. And uh, that's fantastic. That is a really good one. I mean, I know the art is... I mean, the art's fine, but the game stayed. No, the, the, the quality of the drawing is, is well done. <laughs> the game stayed on the go board. Is he, kind he of just like, skimped what? a little bit on his research. Yeah. You know, if he had if he had just grabbed a book of famous games between master players or something, he could have copied a board position out of there. But uh, it he, happens. I don't know. There's something good on TV that night, and he just drew something. So <laughs> <laughs> silly. Uh, oh. Whatever. There's one here. Uh, it's a polar ritual. Um, the return of polar. Yeah, polar. Awesome. Um, and uh, a ritual, which is important, um, yeah. especially with some of the other cards in the set. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it costs one called Protecting the Enerik, or the Anernik. Enernik. Enernik. Thank you, Lovecraft. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> it's Disrupt. When one of your Miskatonic characters committed to a story would be destroyed, put a Miskatonic character into play from your hand committed to the same story. Then, if that character is still in play at the end of the phase, return it to your hand. So let's say you've got a five-cost professor that has, like, three investigation icons. I'm thinking Armitage or something. And then one of your little guys gets killed. Bang. He's in there for the rest, you know, for the rest of that phase. Yeah, so some big guy comes in. Or maybe they have a come into play effect, or, oh, sure. or or maybe they you know they have high skill in investigation and arcane. You suddenly win those, so that's pretty cool. The only thing you can't do is drop in a guy with a lot of combat or terror because the chance is gone. You're looking at a, an arcane or an investigation, right? And then with this card, everybody's Maya Badri. Yes, Maya Badri suddenly appear. Huh? Dead body? What? Fav- <laughs> no. My favorite coroner. Okay, we got to talk about uh, the prophecies because that's new to this set. Oh, okay. And so what a prophecy is is a conditional event that uh, you're you're kind of betting on it happening. So you you play the event, it goes on top of your draw pile, face, face up. up, and one of two things happen: either you meet the condition, and then then it gets discarded like a normal event, and its effect happens, or if you fail to make the condition happen. Then on your next turn, when it comes time to draw cards, you'll have to pick up the Prophecy card because it's on top of your draw pile, and it effectively stifles your draw by one card. Right. So when you play these, you want to make pretty sure that it's going to happen, or at least that if it doesn't happen, you know your, your opponent's going to be hurt by that. So there's one for every faction in the game in this set, and Miskatonic gets two because it, obviously it's their box. Right. But anyway, so one of them here is... Avoros Haljan. And what happens with this is it costs one. After a Miskatonic character you control is destroyed, discard Avoros Haljan from the top of your deck to search your deck for two cards and add them to your hand. Then shuffle your deck. That's pretty powerful. That's ability. huge. In any two cards you want from your entire deck. That's pretty and good. And this is going to fetch them for you. And it's not too hard to get one of your guys killed. And this will affect your. This will also affect your deck building decisions too, because you can make more of a toolbox style deck. 
Yeah, put in some one-times cards that you right. know you can search for. Now, this one actually can be one of those deterrent kind of prophecies, you know, because your, your opponent has a lot of influence about whether one of your characters gets destroyed. Sure. So you know, maybe he's going to stories, he's got characters with combat, but he knows you've got this on top of the deck, so he's going to be thinking, well, should I send these guys there and kill a character and trigger it? Or should I not go to stories so I don't trigger it and stifle his draw? It puts a lot of uncertainty about, you know, what's the right play. And uh, this could be played during either player's draw phase. So you could play it on your turn or your opponent's. Oh, that's true. So, you know, it's a good backup on your own turn. Here's all my guys, and if you want to stop them, make sure you don't kill anyone. You know, or, right. or else bad things will happen. Yeah, there's a lot so. of stuff here that, that triggers off of uh, off your guys dying because they mm. expect your, you know, your Miskatonic, cheap Miskatonic characters are going to die. Sometimes, although Miskatonic doesn't have to die if they don't want to. they got all these infirmaries and stuff now. Oh, infirmary. So many start about infirmary. I love that card. Yeah. They're not as death-prone as they used to be. Yeah, they're definitely not weak sauce anymore. Mm-hmm. I like this one, uh, this other event, this research event called uh, Expert Testimony. I'm big into the icon uh, boosters for struggles, and this one just says, when an icon struggle would resolve at a story, choose a Miskatonic character and commit it to that story until the end of phase that character gains an icon booster for investigation. Yeah. So. That's a fantastic event. As, you know, it allows you to commit a character outside of the normal opportunities you'd be able to do so. Right. So yeah. let's say the icon struggle you chose was terror. Mm-hmm. You could throw a guy in there. Or you could wait till the combat struggle resolved. Yep. You know, or sometimes, you know, you might use this early. Combat's about to resolve. Let's send in Dr. Bancroft. And now I win combat instead of you. Or he steps in front of a bullet and gets to do his trick for once. And this works in offense or defense, too. Yeah. Disrupts are really good. Yeah, that's a pretty strong card. So let's take a look at some of the supports. I think that that's kind of hitting some of the highlights of the events okay. there. Uh, there are a number of locations in this set uh, and lost civilizations. Yeah, and, there's four different lost civilizations that are a big part of the theme here. Uh, these are places that your explorers might be trying to find, you know, so it right. kind of goes into the deck theme. Ultima Thule works really well if you're doing an explorer-themed deck. It wouldn't go into your deck if you were not doing that. Right. But uh, cost one, it's Polar, Lost Civilization, Exhaust Ultima Thule to put an explorer character into play from your hand. If they're still in play at the end of the phase, return it to your hand. I like any card that lets you put a guy out into play as a surprise. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not just that, but it's a one-cost card that can put a three-cost guy into play. One of the drawbacks of playing the Mego or the Explorers or anything where you need a critical mass of characters is that it takes too long to get to critical mass. This is true. This speeds up getting to that critical mass. I can't afford this guy yet, but I'm going to just slip him into play long enough to use all of his bonuses and stuff, and then he goes back into my hand. I would go as far as saying, if you don't have Ultimate Thule and you're starting eight, if you're playing an Explorer deck, you should mulligan. Possibly. I don't know. Sometimes I'm leery about the mulligan, because you can always draw something worse. But it is a great card if you're doing that. That's the chance you take. I think my favorite, though, of the Lost Civilizations is Ipiutak, the Bone City. This costs one, and it's one of those places that you wouldn't want to live there, because it's all you know pretty much just bones and stuff. But <laughs> after a character you control was chosen as the only target of a triggered effect, exhaust Ipiutak to copy that effect, choosing another character as the target. Okay, so, now in English. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
you played it at an event and destroyed one of my guys or something like that, or you have a character come into play event, I get to mirror it back at you. Oh. You know, it, it, if you attack is the same to you, buddy card, you gotcha. know, as long as it as a single character is the target of it, you know, so whatever you play, I get to do the same thing back. And all I got to do is exhaust this card. So once per turn, it's a big monkey wrench right. in the plans of a lot of decks who have, you know, triggered a character targeting kind of effects, whatever it is that they do, they figure that one of them is going to get tossed back in their face. So mm. that's pretty awesome. Then there's one called, uh, okay, so the... There are a couple more Lost Civilizations, but that will leave you guys to uh, explore on your own. But uh, there's a mid-ice polar station called Station Icemit. And Station Icemit is definitely another must-add to your Explorer deck. It costs two. It is a polar location, and it says explorers and scientist characters you control are immune to triggered character abilities. Yep. That is huge. Yeah, that, that can really save your butt, especially as you're trying to maintain that uh, critical mass we keep talking about. It's a lot easier to keep it when your guys aren't getting killed by character abilities. Right. <laughs> you know, so Deep One Rising comes out, and he, he's going to bunch on somebody. Not going to be an explorer if you've got this card. Okay, um, so of the other cards for the other factions, this is primarily a, a Miskatonic box. So most of the cards, like the first 37 cards, are all Miskatonic cards. And the last few, the last cards, there are four neutral cards, and then each other faction gets two cards. They get a prophecy and a ancient one or high cost human card. Yeah, most of them are pretty high. There's a couple threes. There's a couple threes, but let's just say influential. Yeah, sure. But for the monster factions, and they're all unique characters too. Yeah, they're all uniques, and some of them are really good. Mm-hmm. There's anyone to highlight? Well, I really like Carl Stanford. You guys probably know Carl Stanford was already a Cthulhu character from right. long ago. He was the Deathless Fanatic. Yep. So it turns out that he's been associated with Silver Twilight since the old days, uh, you know, writing for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing, role-playing game. game. Right. Thank you. Uh, only there there was no faction for it, so when they put him into the card game, they had to stick him somewhere, and he went into Cthulhu. <laughs> now Carl has come home. And uh, he's back where he should have been the whole time. I can only hope that this is a, a pattern, that more and more characters are going to jump ship from one to the other. I would like to see these same characters It, it, in would, it would be factions. interesting. It really would be. I don't know. Well, let's take a look at him real quick. So he's cost three. He's got a combat, an arcane, an investigation, skill three. He's lodge, of course, and he's also a sorcerer. He's got a fantastic passive ability here. The cost of non-Silver Twilight characters cannot be lowered. Oh, that really kills Shub. Yeah, Shub's gonna gonna take it the worst for that. Yeah. But like a Deep One deck would be hurt by it a good bit. Right. But you know, a Serpent deck wouldn't care as much. Cthulhu deck where you have all the cost reducers to try to get Cthulhu out. Early. Yeah. Yeah. And some factions are just gonna gloss right over it. Right. But but that's it's, not it's, even it's pretty nice. That's not even his best ability. I don't know. Best is a matter of preference, but he does have an action. Pay one to choose a spell or ritual card in your discard pile and add it to your hand. Limit once per turn. Yeah, d- discard recursion is really good. I, yeah. I, I like being able to, to play the spell if you're playing Yogg, maybe, or any, yeah. or even, obviously, Silver Twilight. You're going to play that spell or that ritual, and you can mm-hmm. get it right back and do it again. The thing is, you know, when you actually search for it, there's not 
quite as many spells and rituals as it seems there ought to be. It would probably be the best in a joint deck with Yogg. They've got tons of them. Miskatonic has some spells, not huge numbers of them. If you're looking for a whole lot of spells and you want to leverage the ability to choose any one of them to come back, then the Yogg deck would probably be the best choice. Silver Twilight's got some rituals. And there, people are mixed opinions on those, you know, whether they're worth it. Some of them are a little pricey, but there, there's cards like Magical Theorist now. So a ritual deck is looking up because you can play them cheaper with him and then you can recur them with Carl Stanford and have a good old time. Anyway, moving along from there, what's another character that, that you like? I like uh, this um, set or, uh, or a prophecy. I like the uh, ancient one for Yogg, uh, Umarat Tawil. Costs five. Uh, it's five skill, combat, arcane, arcane, arcane. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not all that deadly, an ancient one, but he does have yeah. this prerequisite invulnerability and willpower. And it's after he readies, you choose a player, that player draws two cards, then you look at his hand and choose and discard two cards from it. Now, later in the game, when you, which yeah. it will be when you're playing a five cost uh, ancient one, that could be the two cards he just drew. And yeah. this is one of the few direct discard cards that I've seen. There's not very many mm-hmm. in this. It's all indirect. It's that you choose what you discard. And you can also use it on yourself, you know, to try and filter yeah. some better cards. That's true. So he, he can ready and you, you can essentially start your turn drawing four cards and picking the best two to keep. That's right. And the other ones go to your discard pile where since this is a Yogg card, you You're have be able to discard recursion back. abilities. That's right. And so maybe you yeah. might, yeah, you might have things that trigger off things in the discard pile. Yeah. Their prophecy is not bad either. After you win an arcane struggle, discard this to choose a character and give them two wounds. So that's a targeted character destruction for Yogg, who well, really that is lacks pretty, that. Yeah, that, that does not have that. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Uh, Usually they get sacrifice, and then your opponent picks their weakest, crappiest guy. And with this one, you can gun for the good ones. So Yeah. The prophecy is some kind of iffy on it. Um, if you have enough card advantage... Like, if you're continually drawing cards or you're continually getting rid of their characters and not your characters and you seem to be ahead, then prophecies look like they work. But I, they do limit your draw, you know. And, and well, Only if you can't make them come about. Right. So I think the key is to make sure that they're going to trigger. Right. And holding okay. off and playing them at the right moment. Right. You know, where you can be sure it's going to happen. It's definitely a skill card. You have the, These prophecies are going to have to... Figure yeah. out how to play them. Well, but they, like looking the best. at the card Hadyadl's 12-3, which is the Syndicate Prophecy, after a character has its skill lowered by a card effect, then you get to put a Syndicate character into play from your hand. You can guarantee this. There are characters in Syndicate, like Torch Singer, pay one and lower somebody's skill, or commit to a story and lower somebody's skill. You can absolutely guarantee that this is going to go off so that there's not a whole lot of risk in it if you've got those cards in play already. Right. And then you get to put a Syndicate character into play from your hand. That's fantastic because Syndicate has some higher-cost characters that are seldom seen because they're so often played as kind of a rush deck. Okay. And they ignore, you know, everybody who costs more than three is just left in the binder. Okay, so ideally you would play this one on your... You'd play it on your opponent's draw phase, and then after you played a, a card like... Low blow, or a card that would just dis- mm-hmm. reduce skill, or yeah, well, or, low blow exhaust. Okay, that, yeah, but, so uh, something like that. that yeah. and then you would be able to do this and put a guy into play on their turn. 
Yeah, you could put the character into play on either player's turn. But I mean, it would be more. It would be good if you put it into play on the, during during their operation phase. This lets you do mm-hmm. that. And now now that, yeah. now you've got a defender they didn't count on. Yeah. When it comes. Yeah, to- it would be a great surprise if they could commit to stories and then you lower someone's skill and then put in you know oh, a, yeah. a big character. Exactly. And they've already gone to stories, so it's too late for them to try and avoid the guy. That's right. And uh, they've got a few characters that have two combat or. You know, something else kind of unpleasant. Right. Including the new guy, Peter Clover. I love seeing him as one of the things you read about in the fluff for Syndicate is uh, all about the Clover Club. That's the mob-run casino. And apparently this guy is the one who owns it or something. Anyway, he costs three. He's got two combat and an investigation. Three skill. He's a criminal, of course, which gives you access to discounts from Johnny V's Dame, you know, different things like that. Oh, aren't they all? But, oh my God, his action is so cool. First, it's a gambling-themed action, so it goes really well with him. The picture sitting there staring at a roulette wheel. Choose a character committed to a story and reveal the top card of your deck. If the cost of the revealed card is lower than the cost of the chosen character, uncommit that character. Then put the revealed card either on the bottom of your deck or discard it. Limit is once per turn. So if your opponent has a big character, the bigger they are, the higher the chance that they're going to get booted out. Plus, as we were just talking about, Syndicate often plays a rush style with low-cost cards in it. The lower the cost of the cards in your deck, the higher the chance that his ability is going to work. So it's almost just like action, uncommit one big opponent character every turn. It's nearly that reliable. And then with the card, if you can put it in your discard, if you have a way to recur it, or if you don't want it to go there, you can slip it on the bottom of your deck. And Syndicate is the only faction, I think, that has a lot of ways to get stuff off the bottom of the deck. They've got uh, events and characters and things that do that. So you may be able to get the exact same card back if you want it. I like that guy. I just made up a Syndicate deck last night that had him and Smuggling Operation, which is one of the cards that pulls off the bottom of the deck. Oh, that's right. So I I thought those would potentially go nicely together. And I knew that uh, one of my opponents was likely to run locations, because the Smuggling Operation is an attachment that has to attach to a location. I figured I I would slap this on uh, his Devil's Reef or whatever he was putting into play, and uh, and we'd start selling booze out of Devil's Reef and, you know, getting cards off the bottom of the deck. (laughs) So That's good. Anyway... Cool, cool card. So I think now we should talk about how the a little bit about how the expansions are going to go. Yeah, and um, let's start with that. As we've already just discussed in great detail, we've got, just had the Miskatonic box, and we're going to have another box come out in uh, February. And for new players, we still suggest you get the core set and play with just the core set and learn the rules. And if you decide you want to keep going, then definitely get Secrets of Arkham. And order the Silver Twilight, because that's already the Silver Twilight box there. Yeah, well, it's it's unknown at this point if there will be another Silver Twilight expansion. I could see it going either way, but I'm, I'm really hoping there is another one. What do you mean? Oh, you mean another box? Yeah, what one like, like the other current boxes. So otherwise, they're already behind all the other factions and the number right. of cards they have. I think that there's so, nothing to do about that, though. Yeah. I mean, that you can't turn back the clock. Well, so I, you I realize that, forward. but if they <laughs> didn't get a box here, that would put them even further behind. Well, so, maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I don't think that that question is going to come up for two more years. So, no, true, true. Unfortunately, at, at four months apart, right. it's going to be a while before we get all the expansions. But I think the goal here from Fantasy Flight is to be a lot like the house boxes for, for Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Right. Yeah. 
So starting players will pick a faction they like. They can buy a core set plus the box for their faction. And right there, they'll have some suggested deck lists mm-hmm. included in the box. And they'll have something fairly competitive they can play just right there. Right. Without having to, to know about deck building yet or worry about right. that their cards aren't good or something. You can play a really good Miskatonic deck just with a core in this box. Right. But uh, what I was sort of getting at was um, if you're a new player, what would you suggest they buy? I would start with the core and the Secrets of Arkham. Some people suggest getting two cores and getting Secrets of Arkham afterward. I don't think the order matters greatly either way. But when the rest of these come out, then that advice will probably be modified a little bit. You will say get a core, get a faction box for your specific faction that you like. Or if you don't have a specific faction in mind, then get Secrets of Arkham and stuff first until you try to settle on somebody. Because people aren't as, they're not nearly as faction loyal in Call of Cthulhu as Oh no, uh, as whatever, whatever you feel like playing that day. Yeah, yeah, we, we hop back and forth all the time. You know, there, there's no sense of a home faction from anybody that I know. No. So, although we do have our pet decks. Uh, we, we do, and, and I do, I do know one guy who's a big agency nut. Plays them all the time and stuff. You know, so there's certain leanings, but right. you don't identify with your faction all that much. So do you think getting two cores is pretty much a foreground conclusion, or do you say no? At some point. Yeah. I I would still get Secrets of Arkham probably before the second core. There's a lot of good uh, cards in there. And just to have more variety, too. More variety, you know, see yeah. more stuff. But uh, I couldn't say it was wrong to do it either way. And as far as I can tell, I, I think the plan for Fantasy Flight is to come out with these a little bit underdogish factions, you know, the ones who haven't been showing up in tournaments as much are probably going to come out first. And then the, the guys who are already very prevalent in play will probably be towards the end of the schedule. So from that point of view, you know, Miskatonic's a good choice for the first deck. You'll probably see Cthulhu at the end. Something like that. You know, maybe Cthulhu and Shove will probably be later ones. And Silver Twilight, if they get one, will be at the end. And then everybody else kind of be in the middle. So, yeah. No way to know who's going to be next, except just to wait and see when they announce it, probably in a couple months. Right. Okay, well, th- I think that about wraps it up for the Miskatonic set here. We may call out a few more cards next week. Sure. Know, just uh, depending on what we're doing. Also, next time we're planning to cover some kind of beginner's tips, talk a little bit about deck building and stuff like that. So if you're a new player, that should be pretty interesting material for you. If you're ever in the Atlanta area, we we play at the Raven's Nest in Marietta. That's a northwest suburb of Atlanta on Thursday evenings. Just show up there, you know, usually about 530 and play until whenever. I'd love to see anybody show up there. Also, thanks to Card Game DB. They're hosting our podcast for us. And uh, just to remind you guys, if you'd like to contact us with a suggestion of something you'd like to hear us talk about, our address is elderthingspodcast at gmail.com. We'll be monitoring that, and we'd love to hear from you. All right. Okay. Uh, That's a wrap for our first episode, and I hope to see you guys for many more. See you next week.